If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Philippians uh, chapter four. Philippians chapter four. And uh, I, just because I'm an equal opportunity person, uh, you know, somebody said, hey, um, you know, Colfax and Bear River made the playoffs too. Absolutely they did. But Colfax and Bear River don't ask us to help them with anything. So there you go. I coach baseball at Colfax. I coach junior Bruins for Bear River and I coach high school football. So I'm an equal opportunity person. I could. Maybe there'll be a change one day at the top. So um, we have been in a series on talking very honestly and open about mental health. And uh, I wanna continue that today. I told you several, probably about five, six weeks ago, that the most highlighted text in, uh, in the world of uh, digital media and books and stuff is Philippians 4, six through seven. Uh, not to be anxious about anything. And uh, more people highlight that than anything else. And so that's kind of fascinating when you stop and think about it because you would think, well, John 3.16 or something like that. But Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is the most highlighted passage of scripture in digital uh, reading. Um, But this has caught my attention. Uh, A friend put me onto this and uh, this kind of blows my mind. Um, Obviously, Amazon and people like that keep track of everything that's highlighted, books and all that. Um, There... There is a section of a book, a a novel, part two of a particular novel that has been the most highlighted passage of any book literally in the world. Anybody anybody have a a guess of what what novel it is? I love knowing something you don't know. This (laughs) makes me feel good. There's my ego. Uh, It's actually from The Hunger Games, uh, novel part two, and it's this quote, because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with it. Wow, I mean, you stop and think about that. What a powerful, powerful statement. And I'm sure that people are just reading, probably trying to get lost in a novel to not think about things that are going on or to keep themselves busy or somebody may just be sadistic and find out how to kill people in the Hunger Games or something like that, I don't know. But that passage, the most highlighted in the digital book world, because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with it. Man, does that sound familiar to anybody? Uh, Some things happen in life that we're not equipped to deal with. It could be a student that's overwhelmed with school. It could be a young person trying to process a breakup. It could be a husband or wife whose spouse had an affair. Uh, The novel uh, is supposed probably to be a distraction for people, but then when you come across a passage like that, then it brings you back. Uh, last week I was praying about God, what are, what are we doing for communion this week? And it was so, so clear. I mean, I, I heard two names, I mean, just immediately, Rob and Cheryl Brown. And literally after service, they, they walked by me and I'm, I, it was like seeing, I'm like, whoa, whoa, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. I've got to ask you something. And is it any, it's no coincidence that God called them to talk to us about what it means to go to the table today. Yeah. It's, it's not a and to be vulnerable and to be honest, because you know what? Sometimes things happen that we in ourselves are not equipped to deal with. And yet what you heard was, is that God, 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 God. Amen. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says it this way. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. Remember, we talked about that last week, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you put those two pieces of information together, 
it would read like this. Sometimes things happen in life and you're not equipped to deal with it. And by the way, don't be anxious about those things. Um, the world and life, the reality of it is that things do happen that we are un, unprepared or ill-equipped to handle. And yet we go back to, okay, God is still God. He is on the throne. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't forgotten us, but life. And Jesus said somewhat the similar thing in John 16, 33, in this world, you're gonna have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have what? Overcome the world. Amen. It doesn't say that everything's gonna be roses and peaches and cream and all that. It just says that he's overcome <laughs> When things happen in our life and we're not equipped to deal with it, who or where do we turn? And so God's word, we believe, is very real. It's active, it's powerful, it's alive. Um, that, that idea of a peace that passes understanding for many has been elusive. It's a challenging phrase. Kyle Eidelman says it this way, there's a peace that can be communicated. There's a peace that comes from God that can't be understood. And if it can't be understood cognitively, then the person who's trying to explain it has a tough job ahead of, ahead of them, right? And yet this is a peace of God that I've seen. I've experienced it on some level. And as a pastor, I've witnessed other people when they felt it in their storm. Some of you would testify to this, that there is a peace of God that you didn't quite know about until you found yourself in a storm that you didn't, that you didn't think before you're going through it that you could get through it. But in the middle of it, God's peace met you. And it's not that life was just perfect and that there were no challenges or worries. It's not that you didn't have moments of panic and despair, but you found a supernatural peace that sustained you and it was more than you would have had on your own. And so Paul in Philippians 4 talks to us about how we find this kind of peace in the midst of anxiety. And let's just take some time this morning to talk about some of the anxiety that we deal with and try to keep the categories somewhat general so we don't uh, try to hone in on just like make somebody feel, oh, they're, they're picking on me. Uh, I, I would say the first is, is the unknown. So much of our anxiety revolves around the what if game. What's gonna happen tomorrow? What's the future gonna hold? Is there gonna be another terrorist attack? What if the economy collapses? What if I never find someone to spend my life with? What if we can't get pregnant? What if our marriage doesn't make it? What if I can't get a job? This list kind of goes on and on and on. Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so a lot of our anxiety has to do with this game that we play with ourselves of what if. And by the way, the what if usually always deals with the worst possible scenario. And then there's the unlikely. Things that are unlikely to happen, but that they start to consume our thoughts. We live in a world, as you know, better or worse, for better or worse, that we've got this 24 hour news cycle. We're constantly aware of what's happening in the world. Some of you have your chaos feature turned on on your phone, where it gives you the news in real time, which is guaranteed to bring you chaos. It's everything bad that's happening right now. And it pops up and it tells you, oh, by the way, have a good day. And so it's just constant updates of things that are going wrong for other people around the world. And we 
take it like that's just, well, that's just the normal human experience. And even though most of the things that we become consumed with aren't likely to happen, we combine it with the unknown and then we start playing the worst case scenario, what if game. Ecclesiastes 1.18 says it this way, for in much wisdom is much grief and he that increases knowledge increases in sorrows. Um, I think we could lay that down in layman's terms as ignorance is bliss. There's a sense in which more information, more data leads to more awareness of the crazy and then we become aware of all the anxiousness that maybe we should be anxious about. Um, this is kind of crazy. Two years ago, and it happens today, but two years ago, uh, you know, we were introduced three years ago to this term fake news, and we're not going to discuss where it came from and any of all that, so just let that go. But it's become its own category now. Matter of fact, if some of you will probably remember that Facebook was sued because they didn't manage their fake news stories the right way, as if Facebook's going to manage anything anywhere. But here's some fake news headlines from 2017. Charles Manson to be released on parole in Johnson City, Tennessee. Now that's kind of funny unless you live in Johnson City, Tennessee. <laughs> Another one was this. Weapon-toting clowns go on murderous rampage. Now I don't know about you, but clowns just in general <laughs> ought to be banned. I mean, see, see. I mean, there's a Pennywise in quite a few of you, I know. Here's another one. Elderly woman accused of training her 65 cats to steal from the neighbors. <laughs> this was clicked on millions of times and people read that. Honey, where's the remote control? I don't know, I bet it's the crazy cat lady. <laughs> um, we, we are consumed with things that are unlikely and then we have a whole uh, expression of freaking people out by how satirical or how funny or whatever we can be. And then there's the third one we'll call the uncontrollable. The things that are outside of our control, which is most things, by the way. Yeah, yeah. An expert in the field of anxiety, uh, Dr. Edward Hallowell, has this equation for anxiety. He says that anxiety takes place when there is a heightened sense of vulnerability and a diminished sense of power. A heightened sense of vulnerability and a diminished sense of power. So when you find yourself in places where you feel vulnerable, but you don't really have much power to do anything about that vulnerability, then that creates anxiety. You're vulnerable, but you're out in a position to help yourself feel safe. Most of you have probably experienced this if you did driving lessons for your teenage kid. <laughs> now, my, the daughter I'm going to talk about usually watches this podcast, but she's in Tennessee, so she can't kill me right now. She was learning how to drive, and she decided she wanted to drive back from a trip we had made a couple hours from Birmingham years ago. I'm like, okay, so we're getting on the on-ramp, the accelerator lane. I said, all right, you got to accelerate. You got to check your mirror. You got to look. You got to make sure. And so she's freaking out. And so she gets on and she gets up to about 65, 70 miles an hour. And then it hits her. I'm doing 65 or 70 miles an hour. So what does she do? She doesn't pull off the road. She comes to a complete sudden stop <laughs> in the middle of the interstate. Now, what do I do? 
I check the mirror and notice that there is traffic closely pursuing us at a very high rate of speed. And so in an elevated tone, with all the love and sincerity I, I can, <laughs> hit the gas and get off the road! <laughs> to which she panics and doesn't. We finally make it off to the shoulder and she's looking at me, you yelled at me, we were going to die. <laughs> you see, being in that vulnerable state and because there was a console in the middle and I couldn't get my foot to the gas pedal, I felt I lacked power. I think that some of you parents can understand that place. She's actually a great driver now, praise God. Some of you have probably heard of the prayer of serenity. <clears throat> it goes like this, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Now that's usually used in talking about recovery ministry, but listen to me, we're all recovering controlled freaks. We all need an awareness of the serenity prayer. And let's th think about this. Anxiety or peace uh, gets determined according to how much control we feel we have. Do I know the difference between the things I need to accept and the things that need to be addressed? You feel anxious maybe about some finance decisions or about your health or about some other things that you can't control, but there are some things that you can control. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety in a relationship because there are some things that you want to control, but you can't. And you think if this person would respond this way and if this person would react this way and do this thing that I want them to do, then I would have peace in my life. And you're trying to control how they respond and how they react. And the more you control and the less they do it, the less they move in your direction, the more you want to control them all the more. Isn't that a crazy cycle? And so you begin to think, well, if he or she felt this way about me, if they would do this, then I wouldn't have anxiety. And so then you start to try to control their feelings. And the more you try to control their feelings, the less they feel the way you want them to feel. And the less they feel the way you want them to feel, the more you try to control how they feel. And the anxiety starts to just rise and rise and rise and rise and rise. There's so many things that we don't have control over. The prayer of serenity goes on to say, living one day at a time and enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace and taking as he did, talking about Jesus, the sinful world as it is. Not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Maybe, maybe you've never walked through that prayer and really thought through it, but it's the reason that people that are serious about their recovery and wanting to overcome what triggers them, they spend so much time praying that prayer to remind themselves that they are not in control. Help me to accept some things the way they are, not as I would have them to be. God, help me to be reasonably happy I think we could put the word content in that. Would that be a good word? Content. Paul said he learned to be content in all circumstances. Happy in this life, but to know that the supreme happiness will come 
in the next. Because I don't know about you, but there are parts of this life that are highly disappointing and highly frustrating and highly beyond our reach and control. But it's hard for us, and so we're anxious. What can we do? Well, Paul says he's going to give us some things that if we put into practice, it will at least give us a better perspective. Now, um, increasingly so in our world, um, we have kind of shoved Scripture, you know, to the side. Um, and you, you've heard me say this, and I, I want to keep saying this. Um, there, are, there are situations that we find ourselves in that are physiological. Um, there are some that need therapy. There are some that need medicine. There are some that need various forms of aid and assistance to, to control our body. And it could be our chemicals in our body are all out of whack. It could be an environmental thing. It could have been an abuse. It could be all kinds of things that have happened. But yet, let's also don't just shove scripture to the side and say, well, God has nothing to say to it. I think he does. Uh, the Atlantic Magazine uh, has a thing they called Surviving Anxiety, and it was a guy named Scott Stossel who wrote this article, and he talks about just living with a lot of anxiety. He says, these are his words, here's what I've tried as a way to deal with it. And he, then he gives a list of all the things that he's done or taken. Individual psychotherapy, family therapy, group therapy, cognitive therapy, therapy cognitive behavioral therapy, rationally motive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, hypnosis, meditation, role-playing, exposure therapy, massage therapy, self-help workbooks, acupuncture, yoga, stoic philosophy, and audio tapes that he ordered off late-night TV infomercials, which may be a problem. He goes into, to give you the medicine list that he's on or has been on in the past. Thorazine, Desipramine, Nardil, Buspar, Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, Wellbutrin, Cymbalta, Enderol, Serac, Centrax, St. John's Wort, Xanax, Valium, Ativan, also beer, wine, gin, bourbon, vodka, and scotch. And there's that list. Is that not, is that not the state of where we find ourselves? And listen, as you heard me say, and then finding the right medicine and the right dose and finding the right therapist and finding, and those all create anxiety. And the problem though sometimes for us is that we turn to God as a last resort. And listen, uh, it doesn't matter if you're at an anxiety point now, if you are in kind of an anxiety spectrum, that there's a deeper level of peace that you can experience that only comes from God. Because I mean, it's supernatural. So Paul says in Philippians 4, first, first to pray about everything. And then he says in every situation by prayer and petition, we talked about that last week, how prayer involves worship, meditation, repentance, confession. And then with thanksgiving, present your request and, and being grateful for who God is and how much he loves us. And for many who have tried to cast their anxiety on God, you, you found yourselves in a position where you're not sure what to do with that because you're like casting. And I, I don't know what to do with the whole casting thing. But think about it this way. Think about using the word transferred there. Um, that, that's probably a more, I, I hate to say accurate word, but I think it's the better picture for us where you transfer something to someone else or somewhere else that you you know, we say give it to God, but what does that mean? Because we like to give and take back, give and take back, pick up again, pick up again, pick up again. But when you transfer something, you, you have taken something and you've offloaded it where you have no ability because you have placed it in hands that are bigger than yours. Yeah. 
Um, and that becomes a real difficulty for us at times. Um, have you ever noticed that in the middle of saying a prayer or maybe the same prayer over and over again because of situations you keep finding yourself in that you've been anxious about, you find yourself more anxious after you've prayed about all the things going on in your life? Listen, it's because it's not that we're just telling God about our anxiety. It's that we are repeating all the things that we see is wrong and that cloud begins to form above our head. Um, one of the things anxiety does is anxiety blinds us to all the blessings and all the things that God has done. I mean, how powerful was that during communion? Yeah. That even when you don't know what to do, you can look back and be reminded that he is there. Amen. Mm -hmm. Um. So people will say, hey, why are, you, why are you so stressed? Why are you so anxious? Why are you so irritable? Why are you so overwhelmed? And they'll say, look, man, you got all these blessings. You got all these things. And then you say, yeah, but I got all this too. And I've got this and I've got this and I've got this and I've got this. <coughs> and the more you speak that, the more you begin to feel the pile coming up and beginning to close in. And so Paul models for us a different way. Remember, in Philippians, he's not writing this text from a balcony overlooking Cabo. He's not up in the Sierras at a cabin watching it snow. He's in a Roman jail chained to a guard waiting to find out if he's going to be executed. And so he's writing about the things that have led him to anxiousness, but he's reminding himself that God is still with him. We ask God for help. We ask God to intervene. Um, but at some point, some point, and this is, I think, the difficult thing, at some point, we've got to stop telling God about our anxiety, and at some point, we've got to start speaking to our anxiety about our God. Amen. Yes. At some point, we've got to decide, are we going to worship or are we going to worry? Because worship will drive out worry, Amen. or worry will drive out worship. They are not mutually connected. You can't participate in worship and be consumed with worry. And you can't be consumed with worry and then worship. And I know that sounds like, no, 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 we can worship anytime. To worship is to place a person on the throne, a thing, a being, and adore and acknowledge him. Amen. But when we are consumed, God comes here because we feel that our anxiety and our stress are, are, are bigger in that moment. And that's not a criticism. Let's just say that's just a reality of what happens to us. Yeah. David does this all through the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, you'll see kind of a shift where he begins a Psalm by talking about reasons he has to be anxious. Matter of fact, before we get Psalm 23, we have Psalm 22. Psalm 23, that he's the good shepherd. He makes him lie down in green pastures. He leads him beside quiet waters. He restores his soul. But you read Psalm 22. Where are you? How long? I mean, he's knocking on heaven's door going, do you see what's happening to me? He talks about the reasons he has to be anxious and he has enemies that are chasing him and his life is in danger and everything that's wrong, but then he shifts and he stops telling God about his anxiety and he starts telling his anxiety about his God. And he starts putting the emphasis on who God is, God's faithfulness, God's redeeming work. 
and reminding himself that he can have confidence in God's will. And so that's really the challenge, isn't it? It's not just to pray about everything, but to pray in a way that relieves anxiety. Maybe a good question for us to ask is, God, what do you want me to do with this? I mean, this area needs some attention in my life. Anxiety is the dashboard lighting up with the warning light saying something's not right. Anxiety can't fix it, but it can speak that there's a problem. And we can run around trying to fix the problem, or we can say, okay, God, what's this about? Show me, reveal to me what I need to see. Who do I need to go to? Who do I need to lean into? Who are you leading me to, to help me walk this out and see a different way? I mean, what, what do we need to do differently in that situation than we've done in the past? Maybe it's, it's not just, hey, God, here's my anxiety. Maybe it's, God, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to hear? What do you want me to respond to differently? Or maybe even as we talk about anxiety, sometimes the prayer we need to pray is, is God, what do I need to give attention to? What, what's, what's this warning light of? What's wrong? Paul says, pray about everything, and then he assures that them that in verse 19, it says that God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches, that God will meet all your needs, that God, God will meet all your needs. Um, and, you know, I, I've tried to be very careful with this because this is a big deal to me. Um, there are people that in dealing with their anxiety, they need professional help. And that shouldn't be a shame. We've got to take the shame off that. We, we have got to encourage and be mental health advocates. Um, they may need some medicinal help. But first and foremost, I think part of our challenge is, is that to find that deeper level of peace, we've got to look and say, okay, God, what are you up to? God, what are you up to? Uh, turning to God first as opposed to last. Um, I can remember uh, after I became a Christian and then ended up in ministry, we would have prayer nights and somebody would come, inevitably come up to me and go, we're really gonna pray for an hour? I mean, is that what it's come to? Are we that desperate? And you know, you kind of chuckle at that and go, that's strange. But think about it. In all honesty, that's the way we think at times. We don't pursue God first. We're like, okay, let's see, I've tried that, I've tried that. Uh, okay, what's left? God. Oh. Oh. Um, Joseph Califano, who at the time when he wrote this was the chairman of the National Center of Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia, he says this, chemistry is chasing Christianity as the nation's largest religion. Chemistry is chasing Christianity as the nation's largest religion. Indeed, millions of Americans who in times of personal crisis and emotional and mental anguish, who once turned to priests, ministers, rabbis for keys to the heavenly kingdom, now go to physicians and psychiatrists who hold the keys to the kingdom of pharmaceutical relief or to drug dealers and liquor stores as chemicals and alcohol replace the confessional as a source of solace and forgiveness. Once again, I'm not saying it may not need therapy and our first turn is increasingly not to the God of the universe. It's to everything else. And once again, I wanna be careful with that. Um, I think that one of the things that we can most learn or many of us have learned is <coughs> the, 
when people reveal how they deal with their anxiety, um, you really learn how they deal with their anxiety by how they go to sleep at night. And so if someone is struggling with anxiety and they stare at a screen until they can't sleep and their, or their eyes are open no longer, um, and at the last moment they, they turn it off or they fall asleep with their phone still going in the morning, um, they're just trying to find some distraction because there's something going on they don't want to deal with. Or they've got some, some terror in their cognitive part of their brain that they don't want to close their eyes for fear that they're going to be attacked by that. Um, for other people, it's taking a couple drinks, it's popping some pills, it's going to shopping online at Amazon, it's logging on to pornography, it's turning to something or someone other than God as a way to deal with the anxiety that you feel. Um, Philippians 4.8, Paul says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul says, look, if you're struggling with anxiety and you're having a hard time finding peace, then filter your thoughts through that list and just ask yourself, does this describe what I'm thinking about? Do you think about things that are lovely and pure and praiseworthy and excellent or do you filter your thoughts through a list and find out, well, um, psychology 101 is controlling me? Because you learn in psychology 101 to think a certain way or to understand a part of the brain that doesn't always help us. We sometimes dismiss things of the church language um, for the self-help movement or the power of positive talk. We put the emphasis on rescuing and saving ourselves, but I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we're not real good at that. Jesus said himself, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Scripture says, be transformed, Romans 12, by the renewing of your minds. And Paul says, look, when you're, when you're thinking, make sure you're thinking about things that lead to life. Now, for some, that's hard because neuropathways have been established and you've got to break the pattern of the neuropathway that leads you to become consumed about certain things. Sometimes that takes medicine. Sometimes that takes therapy. It's, it's not like a one-size-fits-all. But when your neuropathways, you find criticism and negativity and doom and gloom first. That's your body and the red warning lights and sirens going off saying... Body, we have a problem. And so we, we have to shut down that highway of doom and gloom. And we need to let God open up a new pathway. And maybe he opens up through a great therapist. Maybe he opens it up by giving you something that it, it balances your chemicals in your way of thinking. And you find a, a moment of peace and clarity where you can pursue um, but Let's just be honest. For many of us, we're guilty of living our lives according to fake news. The unknown. The unlikely. And so, if in your mind the headline is, life isn't supposed to be this hard and you kind of wake up with that feeling and you go to bed with that feeling thinking that same thing, it shouldn't be this difficult, it's not supposed to be this way, why has this happened to me, it's not fair, 
If that's the headline in your head, then anxiety is going to be overwhelming in your life because you're gonna be coming from a point of scarcity rather than abundance. You're gonna be half empty as opposed to half full. If you think, listen, I would be content if he would do something or if she would do this or do that, I wouldn't feel anxious if somebody else would change something about themselves. If that's the headline in your head, you're gonna feel overwhelmed with anxiety. If you go to a party or a gathering and a friend doesn't talk to you or they don't look your way for some reason and maybe they just didn't see you but you become consumed with it and you think, oh, something's wrong, something's wrong, they don't like me anymore and you become consumed and you just keep telling yourself they hate you, they hate you, they hate you. Anxiety's gonna be your neighbor for quite a while. Paul says, look, think about what's lovely and noble and right and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. And then in verse nine, he says these words, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Man, sometimes our thinking is stinking. Sometimes we have some stinky thinking. So he connects the peace of God with the way we live. And to put, to put it into clear, clear words, we'll experience deeper, deeper levels of God's peace when we don't allow our mind to turn into the negative trap. So let me close with this. I'm going to invite Monty and the band up. The American Heart Association posted an article that talked about ways to, to live healthy and reduce stress. Now here's one of the suggestions that the American Heart Association spoke, and I, I find this interesting. Examine your values and live by them. The more your actions reflect your beliefs, the better you'll feel. Who knew the American Heart Association knew God? Who knew? Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about the way that you live in conflict with what you say you truly believe? That you have a foundational principle, you have a foundational belief system that you keep violating? And the more you violate that foundational belief or what you say is a foundational belief, your body begins to respond because it's acting out of character with its nature. And if you have a truth that God has laid into you and he's given you and you begin walking in an adverse way to that, you're gonna have conflict. It's called the conscience. And if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, you have this, this person living inside of you called the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into truth. And when we're acting adversely to what we believe is a truth, guess what? Yeah. God's not gonna go, hey, let me take, let you take a little vacation and just kind of, you know, just kind of enjoy that sin for a while. God's going to go, what are you doing? Do you know I love you? Do you know who you are? Why are you breaking covenant with me? Why are you walking in a way that is just going to destroy your heart, your mind, and your soul? Now, he's not doing that to beat you up. He's doing that to say, walk in peace. And you're like, I don't know why I don't have any peace. Well, let me tell you why you don't have peace. True story. Guy came to see me. He said, listen, my marriage is failing. I don't know what to do about it, but this is what I know, that God has placed this woman in my life and she brings me more happiness than I've ever seen in my life. And I just know it's God's will for us to be together. And I said, what? 
And he said, oh yeah, it's obvious. I mean, my marriage is falling apart, but this woman, this woman. And he said, what I want you to do is I want you to pray. I want you to pray for God to just do whatever he needs to do to make that happen. Now, what he didn't know is a few years before that, I had learned a little prayer from Joe Beam uh, because he, he had prayed the same kind of type prayer with somebody. So I did. I said, Lord, I want to pray for my brother. Lord, he is deceived and he believes that this woman is going to bring him happiness. Lord, I pray you strip every dollar he has. I pray you take his family away from him. And he's interrupting the prayer going, what the heck are you doing? Well, this is the only way for you to have her is God's got to get rid of everything else. He said, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? I've worked hard for that money. You have. And what about those kids? Who raised those kids? Well, my wife did. But don't she's a terrible person. Remember, you said she was a terrible person. No, she's not a terrible person. But this other woman, this other woman, this other woman. You see, his conflict wasn't with his wife. His conflict was, is that his brain was telling him and his soul was trying to find a way to make peace with it. It doesn't have to be an affair. It could be any value, any belief that we have said or we have held firmly to and all of a sudden we're walking away from it and the warning lights are going off going, what are you doing? And we're going, uh, can I shut that off for a little while? And God's going, look, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will not lead you into willful disobedience in. Can I give you a word? Repent. Repent. There may be somebody in here that that's absolutely your conflict right now. Listen, American Heart Association, examine your values and live by them. The more your actions reflect your beliefs, the better you'll feel. Is that not crazy? But that lines up with all of Scripture. Isn't that crazy? It's just crazy. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray for all of us. I want to pray for myself, Lord God. Lord, you give us warning lights. And you give us the Holy Spirit to, to call us back call us back. Lord, I want to pray for those that are struggling with anxiety right now. Lord, if it's chemical, would you get them to the right doctor, the right therapist, the right person? Lord, if, it, if it's because they're just so consumed in their own mind of a way of thinking, Lord, would you lead them to the peaceful process and, and group that they need to be at to process that and to, to be able to gain some clarity? Lord, if it's, if it's whatever, Lord, would you make that so, so clearly known? So clearly known. Lord, we know we're in a broken world. And Lord, there are just mental, mental health crises. There are mental health issues and they're real. And it's not like anybody raised their hand and said, pick me, pick me, pick me. But Lord, we find ourselves in that. And Lord, you know us best. Would you lead us, God, to the right place, the right way, the right, the right thing, right person. But Lord, ultimately we know you're the right person. You're the first right person. And so, Lord, I, I just want to open the door for those who want to have someone pray with them, to process with them, Lord, life situations. And so, Lord, would you give them the courage to, to seek out a prayer partner this morning, Lord, whether it be in the prayer room or up front, wherever, Lord. Would you just do what you do? And, Lord, may we be advocates for good mental health because, Lord, you made us mind, body, and spirit. And Lord, we, we want to walk in faithfulness with you, Lord, with you, because you are the source of eternal life.
And so, Lord, as, uh, as we just sing this song this morning, Lord, would you, would you speak hope into us, Lord God, that we're half full, if not all the way full, Lord God, at minimum. Lord, to know that you are with us and you're for us. In the name of Jesus, Lord, amen.